Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. No people harp on the last place thing, but essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership cares, then maybe they should talk. This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Fenway Rundown podcast. I'm Chris Cotillo. Co-host Sean McAdam is here with me, well, virtually. Uh, we're doing it on Zoom, as we always do, so he's not here with me, literally. But um, it's time for one of the maybe easiest episodes of the year to record. Not much going on with the Red Sox. I mean, that weekend series against the White Sox, I don't really know how we could possibly analyze it. It was so meaningless. So a good time on this Tuesday to talk about awards, talk about preseason predictions. We did a preseason roundtable podcast back in late March where we had Matt Votor, Chris Smith, Jim Pignatello, and myself were on. Uh, Sean McGannon was not with us at the time. Now he is, but he had his own predictions way back when. So we will talk about the predictions we got right and much more frequently the predictions we got wrong. We will talk about some awards and who deserves them um, across both the American League and National League and then uh, on the Red Sox. So a lot to get to. We'll try to go as quickly as possible while finding a way to make fun of ourselves because some of these predictions, at least mine and I know Sean's as well, were absolutely horrendous and they question our ability to cover baseball in a professional manner with some of the ones we picked. So we'll start with the uh, American League playoff picture. Uh, As I said, these are preseason predictions and we're going to kind of see how we did. For the division winners, I had the... Not do well. No, we did not do well. I did okay. Uh, For the preseason predictions, I had the Blue Jays, which is a big X, but they're a playoff-ish team, so that's fine. I had the Twins, which is great. Good for me. They won the Central. And the Astros are two and a half games back of Texas, but I had them winning on our Mass Live panel. All four of us picked the Astros. We were split two and two between the Twins and Guardians and two and two between the Blue Jays and the Yankees. So uh, Jim Pignatello and Chris Smith with a bad pick in retrospect, picking the Yankees. Sean, who did you have? I had Toronto winning the division as well. I had the Yankees second. I had Tampa Bay third. I had the Red Sox fourth. And inexplicably, I had the current division leader, Baltimore Orioles fifth. It was my theory, and it was horribly flawed in retrospect, Mm -hmm. that – uh, while there's a lot of great young talent with the Orioles, 
that because they didn't do a lot last offseason to add to it, that they would take a step backward. And uh, even though they were not going to be a bad team, I thought they were going to finish fifth in a tough division. I could not have been more wrong in that case. In the Central, I had Cleveland first, Minnesota second. In the West, I had it Houston, Seattle, and L.A. uh, with Texas fourth and Oakland fifth. My wild cards were New York, Seattle, and L.A. Obviously, two of those are going to be grossly off the mark with the Yankees and Angels already eliminated. Seattle still has a shot. Yeah, I had in the wild card the Yankees, the Guardians, and the Mariners. Uh, Two takeaways from your pick. So you're saying, based on having the Orioles in fifth, that you had them under 97 wins with a week to go? Yeah, I had them substantially under. And go ahead. I had Brandon Hyde, his first manager, fired. Um, We'll be adjusting that pick later on as we (laughs) get awards for the American League. Right. I uh, the other takeaway there, and I didn't fall into this, which I do every single year. But the big takeaway in preseason awards, no matter what, and I've fallen into this trap year after year after year. No matter how good you think the Angels are going to be, you have to take off 15 games. No matter what, because something's going to go wrong. Right. If you look at Tampa Bay on paper in March, you think, eh, this is the year where they don't have enough. They didn't do enough for this. They didn't spend enough for that. They're not going to be very good. And it you you take the 15 wins that you should be subtracting from the Angels and add them to the race toll. Give some credit to Jim Pignatello. He had and Chris Smith both had the Blue Jays and Rays as wild card teams. Um, Smith had the Blue Jays, Rays, and Mariners as his wild card team. Of course, with the Yankees winning the division instead of the Orioles, that has a chance to look pretty good. And Matt Votor had the Yankees, Rays, and the Mariners. So uh, I was not as high on the Rays. I didn't have them making the playoffs. Of course, they're at 95 wins and, and a good lesson there, um, kind of as we just talked about. We will. Um, have time and future podcasts for playoff predictions, world series predictions as all that type of stuff shakes out. Just looking at, um, our ALCS predictions in uh, for the mass live panel. I had the Astros over the blue Jays, which I guess is still possible. Um, Jim had the blue Jays over the Astros still possible. Chris Smith had the Astros over the Yankees, which will not be the case. And then Matt Votor had the blue Jays over the Astros. So a lot of Toronto Houston predictions there. And if it happens, we'll all look like geniuses though. Um, you know, two teams fighting for the wild card spot. It's uh, going to be tough. And I had for my ALCS pick, which is still in play though, hardly guaranteed. I had Toronto over Seattle. All right. So we're all, none of us had any, well, I guess Houston, none of us had any division winners in our ALCS, but you know, that's, uh, that's kind of the state of the American League. The uh, <laughs> I didn't see this before right now. The National League will move over there. Uh, this is perhaps this is going to be uh, one of the worst jobs in prediction history. And uh, I'm proud to announce my division winners for the National League were the Mets, who are 71 and 85, the Cardinals, who are 68 and 88. And the Padres, who with a nice run here at the end, are 77 and 79. I did a little better. In fact, I had two of the three division winners. I had both Atlanta and the Dodgers in the East and West. 
but I too fell victim to the Cardinals in the Central, and I had the Mets finishing second and getting one of the wild cards. I had Philadelphia finishing third and getting the other wild card, and I had San Diego as a wild card team too. That's not happening. Uh, um, I had Milwaukee, who's going to win the uh, Central, finishing second. I thought the surprise team that was going to emerge from the lousy ones in the Central was going to be Pittsburgh. For about two months, I looked smart. Now I look dumb. They have fallen out of it. And both the Cubs and Reds are going to finish ahead of them. I kind of did okay in the West. I had LA, San Diego, Arizona, San Francisco, and Colorado. So if you flip-flop San Diego and Arizona, and there's only about four or five games difference there, I did okay in that division. If And for, for my NLCS, I had Atlanta beating uh, San Diego, and that's not going to happen. But I do uh, have it going to the World Series. The Whoever compiled these picks into this article on MassLive.com, whoever ended up writing the story, which I don't know who it was, but it was me, maybe there was just a little error between maybe this should have been under division winners instead of wildcard teams. It says Cotillo wildcard teams, Atlanta, Milwaukee, and the Dodgers. So, um, I'll be a typo on your part. On someone's part, not to name names, but um, you can claim, make no claim to this because you weren't here yet. Um, so I had, yes, the Braves, Brewers, and Dodgers winning the wild card. They'll win the division. And I had the Mets, Cardinals, and Padres winning the division. They won't make the playoffs. Going around the other uh, panelists from Mass Live. Jim had the Mets, Cardinals, and Padres alongside. So, you know, I felt good at the time being uh, in the same headspace as the boss. Clearly, we're both idiots. And uh, with Smith, Braves, Dodgers, Cardinals, and Matt went Braves, Brewers, Padres. So those guys both going two of three. Uh, Jim had the exact Braves, Brewers, Dodgers wild card as I did. So we were six for six in unison in the National League. Chris Smith had the Mets, the Padres, and the Phillies in the wild card. Matt had the Dodgers, Mets, and the Phillies, so a mixed bag there. Um, three of us had the Padres getting into the World Series on that end. That's not going to happen. Matt had the Phillies over the Padres, which uh, the Phillies will still have a chance to get back to the World Series for the second straight year. So just World Series predictions that we had. Again, we're going to make new ones on the show as we as we move on. I had Houston over San Diego, big X there. Jim had Toronto over San Diego. That's not going to happen. Chris Smith had Houston over San Diego. Not going to happen. And Matt had Phillies over Blue Jays in seven, which there is still a chance there. Yeah, my World Series pick is still in play. I wouldn't want to put a lot of money on it at this point, but it looks like uh, that both teams, well, one certainly has already clinched a playoff spot with the best record in baseball. I have uh, Atlanta going to the World Series and losing to the Toronto Blue Jays, which could still happen, although I don't like the Blue Jays' chances, but at least either of my World Series picks and pennant winners have been eliminated from playoff contention. Yeah, you'll take that at this point. Uh, we'll move on to awards, and there's a couple cases here um, where Sean and I, as voters for certain, we're getting a little tight with time here, Chris. We should probably just skip over these. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought you were going to say something serious for once, but I forgot. Um, yes, these are bad. Um, but there are, as I was as I was saying before, I was so rudely interrupted, uh, some things that we can't 
uh, there's a couple things that we can't comment on as voters. Sean has a Cy Young vote. I have a Rookie of the Year vote. So the other person will have to talk about their thoughts on those awards. But taking a trip down memory lane at this point, my American League MVP was Julio Rodriguez of the Seattle Mariners. Sean? I had the same pick. And remember, we both picked the same two guys for MVP. One of them, uh, I mean, Julio's not a bad pick. If if we didn't have Superman playing in Anaheim, uh, Julio would be a perfectly logical pick. But uh, we we each decided to be cute and pretend that Shohei Otani did not play in 2023, but did, and he will win that award going away. Uh, so we both had Julio Rodriguez in the American League. Are we going National League, or you want to go award uh, by award? I just want to make make a note, just on you know Jim, um, Jim and Chris Smith both had Otani. Matt and I both had Julio. Like separately, the they're going well, chalk. You get credit for that. Yeah, that's true. I do want to note though, because these numbers, <laughs> like I saw them at Fenway earlier in the year, and I was shocked, but. At this point in the season, being in Texas last week, the Corey Seager numbers this year are absolutely unbelievable. And like um, that just looks like such a, a good deal at this point for Texas. I know it's a long one, but hitting 333, 33 homers, 96 RBI, 42 doubles, and a 1040 OPS in 112 games. Like that is an incredible, incredible season and an MVP caliber one if Otani's not, not around. And he missed about a month with injury, too, as you noted on the games played. You know, he should be up about 150-something games, and he missed more than a month. But while he played, he was spectacular. And it would not surprise me to see him finish second in the voting, although I think we all know who's going to win it. Right. We'll we'll stay in the American League, finish that, and then go over to the National League. So this is the uh, American League Cy Young. You have a vote, so you are not going to be able to tell us who you you are going to vote for i'm i'm free to share it because there's no way i'm actually voting for this person that's true uh we again we uh, and we did this independently this was not we did not consult one another or bounce ideas off one another but we had uh, a bunch of the same answers here and they were all horrible with a capital h my american league cy young choice at the start of the year was Alec Manoa. I could not have, I literally could not have picked a worse person. I don't mean he's a bad person, but his season was a complete train wreck to the point where he got optioned down to rookie ball to get straightened out and then apparently jumped the team and is nowhere to be found and is not finishing the year with them. A theme we will see repeated when we get to my National League choice. Yeah, I also had Alec Manoa, which is uh, not good at all, uh, and so did Chris Smith. So MassLive employs three full-time baseball writers. We all thought Alec Manoa would be the Cy Young winner in the American League. If that's not fireable, I don't know what is. And uh, Jim had Garrett Cole, who looks like one of the favorites for the award. Matt Votor had Christian Javier with the Astros. Um as I said, Sean has a vote. Cole seems to be the favorite. I would go with him myself. It's just uh, shocking that he doesn't have one so far, um, but it looks like this could be the year where he gets over the hump. And, and kind of funny, it's in a year where the Yankees are as bad as they are, and the rest of the pitching staff was absolutely horrendous. 
American League Rookie of the Year. Uh, this is the one I have a vote for, so I'm not going to reveal my um, choice or where I'm leaning. But I will say we had a very Red Sox. Uh, we had a very Red Sox bias, I guess, heading into the year. Uh, I had Casas. Pignatello had Yoshida. Chris Smith had Yoshida. And Matt Votor had, as he said on the podcast then, Gunnar. Gunnar Henderson of the Orioles, who's had a fantastic year. Sean, who did you have and how would you vote? Uh, not only did I have the eventual winner, but I could pronounce his name back in March. I had Gunnar Henderson of the Baltimore Orioles. The rookie of the year was my standout award pick because I think I nailed both of them, as we'll see when we get to the National League. But yeah, I had Gunnar Henderson too. And moving on, we didn't make predictions for this on Mass Live um, for the manager of the year. Um, if I were to have a vote now, I'd go with Brandon Hyde of your projected last place Baltimore Orioles. Who did you have looking back? I had John Schneider as the guy that I thought was going to be chosen manager of the year because I thought the Blue Jays were not only going to win the division, but get to the World Series. They can still get to the World Series. They can still get to the pennant. They have not clinched a playoff spot, but I'm safe to say that John Schneider will not be the manager of the year in 2023. Uh, I've, I've made worse picks. We've already talked about them, but that one was wrong, clearly. And uh, we will see. I don't, neither of us have a, a vote for that one. Um, you would go with Hyde? Yes. Okay. And that's just, I mean, that one writes itself for you, considering how much they overachieve compared to your extremely low expectations for them. Got to be the manager of the year to defy my expectation. That's right. We will go now to the National League. Um where we were a split camp at Mass Live back in um, March. Matt Votor and I had Trey Turner. Jim and Chris Smith had Juan Soto. Matt and I forgot to add another piece that was edited out. We forgot to add the caveat that we were only counting his stats after the standing ovation Philly fans gave him, which seems to have vaulted Trey Turner. I told, I said at the time, I hate doing this because I hate picking a North Carolina State alum. Um, I made up for that in my next pick, but I uh, I shouldn't have trusted it, and this will be wrong. Sean, who do you have? Uh, we're talking, I'm sorry, rookie of the year? NL MVP. NL MVP. Two had Trey Turner, um, and that was a bad pick, uh, obviously, although Turner has had a decent year. He's got 26 homers, better than 100 runs scored, and he's come on much better in the second half, but he obviously is not going to be NL MVP. Uh, we should learn our lesson about free agent shortstops doing well on the first year of big deals. Nobody has done it. Seager's great now. He was not his first year with Texas. Javi Baez has been lousy in both his years. Trevor Story did not have a good year. Carlos Correa did not have a good first year. Xander Bogarts did not have. We've learned our lesson. Do not expect that you're going to get a great player, even if you spend two or three hundred million dollars for them as a free agent shortstop. Yeah, and and that kind of made itself clear um, through the uh, award picks and Soto for Jim and Chris did not have a particularly great year uh, either. Sean, uh, I know everybody's talked at this point about Acuna or Mookie. 
Um, and I think Mookie's stats speak for themselves. We don't need to say that name anymore on this podcast. We've covered it too many times, but Acuna's year is historic. Um, and I think uh, kind of one of those really good MVP races we haven't paid that much attention to because we cover the other league primarily, though, with the balanced schedule. We we'll see everybody. Um, Acuna seems like the runaway to me and, um, and, a, and, a, and a pretty interesting race throughout the year. Yeah, I, I disagree. I don't think this is a runaway at all. In fact, uh, I am going to invoke the voting from 1979 when Willie Stargell and Keith Hernandez tied as the MVP in the National League. And I'm giving half a vote each to Mookie Betts and Ronald Acuna Jr. I don't see how you could say it's a runaway. The, the Mookie is either ahead or tied in uh, baseball reference war. He has also contributed second base and shortstop showing his defensive versatility. I, I yield to no one in my admiration for Acuna's record setting year with 40 homers and 70 or, or, uh, stolen bases or thereabouts. But I, I think um, this is a dead heat and a tie. I'm giving half a vote to each. I was not aware as someone born in 95 about the 79 uh, situation. So that happened before you too. What? Have you heard about World War II? That also predates your birth. Or yeah. are you not for anything that happened before 1995? I'm not. Keith Hernandez that you mentioned, that was that guy in the sitcom, right? Yes, he was on a famous sitcom one. Okay. Thanks, pretty boy. Um, I, I just I look at Acuna and, and think of maybe it's uh, there might be some Mookie fatigue here, as we've talked about before. I just, yeah, he's amazing. He's had an amazing year, but I would vote for Acuna, um, and I think the odds are, are in his favor at this point I, I, as well. If I were betting, I would say that Acuna will probably win, but I think it's going to be close, and it's a tough call. The National League Cy Young Award, and this is one that looked like my best pick for most I'm of sorry. the year. I'm out there. What award are we talking about here? The National League Cy Young. I, I, I can't hear you. You're going to have to repeat that. Maybe we uh, should just probably. Who do you have? Which uh, shining star in the National League was Sean McAdams' pick? Julio Urias. Okay. The Angeles Dodgers. Not good. No. On any. Right. Uh, so you had him and Manoa, which is, I think, really reason to take your baseball writer's card away. And, and I am paid to cover Major League Baseball. That's true. I had those two Cy Young picks. I had the guy that looked like he was going to win it for most of the year and a dark horse, a uh, Tar Heel, a proud Tar Heel from the Arizona Diamondbacks, Zach Gallen. I, I mentioned before, we have to mention him on every show. This is a legitimate reason why. Um, he had a very good year. Uh, I don't think he's going to end up winning it. You look at the rest of our picks. Jim had Corbin Burns. Chris Smith had Justin Verlander. I don't think he thought he'd be traded midseason. Matt had Sandy Alcantara. Uh, and it looks like at this point, based on all metrics, that Blake Snell is the favorite there, though it seems to be a... Um, there's a few guys in the mix there. Do you think Snell will be the winner, and is that how you'd go? Yeah, that that's my pick now. Um, he's had a terrific, uh, particularly second half. Um, Padres have not done much with him. 
and his uh, excellence on the mound. But I think Blake Snell was the best pitcher in the National League in 2023. And remember, as a side note here, we talked about Blake Snell as a guy who potentially fit the Red Sox moving forward. A large piece of that, in my mind, was the Rays connection and Heim Bloom. Um, so that's something that obviously does not matter as much anymore. But he's a guy who's a free agent, as they at least experience, uh, is coming off a really good year. I think you know the Red Sox will at least look into that possibility. Yeah, I think so, too. Although one thing that concerns me, and I wrote about this in my Major League Notebook last week, Chris, is the fact that in, I think, seven uh, seasons, maybe eight at this point, uh, he has pitched more than 130 innings just twice. This year is one of them. And I he think fit, he'd fit they, right in. Yeah. Well, that's the issue that they need somebody who's going to take the ball every five days and get you 175 to 180 innings. And while Snell is capable of doing that, the fact is that he hasn't done it much in his major league career. So that would be a bit of a red flag for me. And that's why you you like Nola a little better at this point? Yeah, I mean, clearly, uh, Snell has been the far better pitcher this year. Nola's not having a great year, which may help the Red Sox in terms of his market. I would imagine because of his innings workload and his ability to take teams deep into games regularly, pitching in a small hitter-friendly ballpark, uh, pitching in a in a – Big market, all those things are going to make Aaron Nola a very attractive free agent. But the fact that he's going to end up with an ERA north of four or five is probably going to take a little shine off that and may limit how much he can command. I still think he'll be a very desired free agent, maybe just not as much if he had had a better year. Yeah, and both of those guys, I think, along with Yamamoto, two of the top starters out there, and we will have plenty of time and plenty of pod space to discuss all of that rookie of the year mass live did I think by all accounts pretty well I was high in the diamondbacks in the awards and not in the standings I had Corbin Carroll who looks like he'll win it along with Jim Pignatello and Chris Smith uh Matt Votor had BC alum Sal Freelich which is an interesting pick because he's had some good moments for the Milwaukee this year you had Carroll as well right yes I did yeah it and looks I, like he's he's gonna win it. that now, um, I think that's that's a pretty clear-cut one, too. He's had a terrific year, and I think he'll win handily. Uh, I had him back in March, and I'll stay with him. The one guy there, and and uh, Raleigh Clark with the Red Sox in PR, was pointing this out to me yesterday. I hadn't really thought of it or really looked that deeply into it, but Senga has had a really, really good year, and he would be the one guy that might you know get some votes. I know on a bad team, and I know sometimes he's – you know, guys who come over from Japan, you know, he's 30, 31, might get punished, but 296 ERA in 28 starts, you know, going to finish around 165, 170 innings, 353 FIP, um, you know, almost 200 strikeouts and probably will get there if he pitches again. That's a very, very good year and, and another year, you know. And, and that's the kind of year that I think most teams would be happy if they got out of Yamamoto next year. Right. Uh, Yamamoto has the advantage of being five years younger. Senga's about, as you said, coming up on 30. Uh, Yamamoto is only 25. But if you got a sub three ERA and, uh, you know, 170 to 180 innings out of Yamamoto, uh, 
Yamamoto in his first year would be very satisfied with that. And Yamamoto is going to get a lot more money than Senga did. Looks like it. And there have been a lot of bad ones. So give credit where credit's due. Five for 75 looks like a very good deal for the Mets there. Absolutely. We will move on uh, through awards. <laughs> Red Sox predictions. Um, this is kind of in play. And this is, you know, I've said all along, it's the road to 81 and 81. The Red Sox, as we record this on, we're recording Monday afternoon to post on Tuesday. They are 76 and 80. So they need to go, uh, I guess, five and one um, the rest of the way for me to be correct here. I had them at 81 and 81 in fourth place in the division. Jim had them 85 and 77. Jim was always lower on them than we are this year. He's a little higher. Smith had them 84 and 78. Matt had 83 and 79. If I remember correctly, again, you're not on on here, but um, you were even higher on them than us. Uh, no, I had the same number that Matt did, 83 and 79. Okay. Fourth. None that, of us had know, fifth. That is a win. They're going to get to, you know, 78, 79, 80 wins. And if they're not in fourth place, they'll be a game or two out. So I I, I think I got the the gist of what they were going to be, even if I'm off by a space in the sand, in the standings and three or four wins here or there. Uh I will take credit for my 81 and 81, the definition of mediocrity, and proving that point today, Steve Perrault with a great tweet, their run differential at this point in the season is zero. So that tells you everything you need to know. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Red Sox individual awards. <laughs> this is one that uh, I think is somewhat interesting um, on a bad team. There have been good performances. The Red Sox MVP before the year Devers. I had Devers and Jim Pignatello had Devers. Smith and Votor had Masataka Yoshida, who had a pretty good first half and a bad second half. Um, did you have a pick for that back then? I did not do team um, team picks or team superlatives. How would you vote now? I think we're on the same page, and I think people disagree with us in general. No, that's okay. I, I think we are on the same page. I would go with Justin Turner as MVP. I understand that he did not contribute much defensively. About three quarters of his starts were DH. And when he did play the field, he was limited. We know that he's not a great defender at this point in his career, whether it be first base or a handful of games at third and a few games here and there at second. I just thought that he had, even though Mookie currently has uh, Mookie, Raphael Devers has a handful more RBI at this point and about 10 more homers. I think Turner's offensive season was more impactful. We know how good he was with runners in scoring position. We knew there were times when he carried the team when they were still in contention. And I think you have to somehow make accommodation for the intangibles, his leadership, uh, what he's meant in the clubhouse, uh, his relationship with other players, particularly when you consider this is his first year here. So uh, I'm comfortable with Justin Turner as MVP. 
Yeah, that's who I would go with too. Um, and you know, we're having this discussion in the press box, and and I think Ian Brown was saying like we penalize Devers just because the expectations are so high. And if you look at it, and I am looking at it right now on this off day, Devers through 148 games played, 33 homers, 98 RBI, 34 doubles, hitting 274, then 864 OPS. I mean, the run production is up from last year. The average is a little down. In the American League, in a bunch of important categories, from homers to total bases to OPS to slugging, um, it's not a bad year. I wouldn't say I wrote a couple of weeks ago that it was underwhelming. I probably should have chosen my words more carefully. Um, It it was a good year, a very good year. I I don't know that it was, you know, it's the Devers year that we thought. And maybe we're guilty of expectations. Maybe we linked his contract to what we thought was going to happen. It's not a season that he has to apologize for, but I still think he's capable of more. You know what the thing is, though, is that watching it every day, these numbers are surprising, you know? Yeah, I agree. Like, it it just, and I hate doing, even saying this, because it takes away the numbers are the numbers. It's a good season, as you said. But, like, there were times where he was not a factor. That didn't seem to be the case with Turner. What was that? I think he disappeared for stretches. Mm-hmm. Um, and these numbers, it's like people, you know, talking about Adrian Beltre's Hall of Fame candidacy felt like it was kind of a compiler season in, in some ways. And like fair or unfair, I don't know. When you look at it, I think to turn this into a positive thing, the fact that Devers can have, you know, you called it an underwhelming year or me looking at it and looking at how it was, watching it every day, for him to post this line when it doesn't seem like he is just shows like, how high the floor is. I, I agree. Uh, and I think you have to start factoring in the fact that his defense was disappointing and took a, to me, considerable step backward from a year ago. That's mm-hmm. troubling. With Turner, I agree with every, everything you said. His numbers are going to look worse because he's been bad in September. Um, I wrote about and, and tweeted about how, to me, they should have shut him down at this point with nothing to play for. I think he's too proud to do that, and it's admirable and all that, but his numbers have taken a hit. Uh, do you look at the numbers uh, you know, before September, especially run with um, you know, runners in scoring position and all that? A really, really good year, one that he might get paid for on the open market. A couple of guys I would throw out in the MVP consideration uh, that are probably going to get other team awards as we talk about them. Casas, to me, should at least get some mention. I know it was not there for April and May, but he was, for a long stretch in the second half, their most valuable player. And a middle or late inning reliever is never, ever going to win this type of award. But Chris Martin has had one of the most, the best individual seasons for a player uh, with the Red Sox that I can remember in a, in a long time. Um, and so he would never win this because he's that one role, one inning role, but two guys I think deserve mention. Yeah, I agree on both. Um, you know, I, I think Casas was too invisible for the first two plus months. Came on like uh, a ball of fire for the final four before he was injured. Uh, you know, ten days ago, um, I think he'll eventually finish second in Rookie of the Year balloting. Uh, although I saw that Joel Sherman of the New York Post did not have him in his top five, which I find 
uh, astounding. I, I think you and I both think very highly of Joel and the work he does. Not sure why he got left out of the top five. I see no scenario whatsoever that Casas does not finish top five. I think it's possible he finishes second. Uh, not MVP, but a, an excellent year. We'll move on to pitcher of the year. I mean, we could, I guess we could set Red Sox pitcher of the year. Uh, I guess we could separate this into pitcher of the year and starter of the year. Pitcher of the year is clearly Martin. I mean, the numbers, I, I not to beat this dead horse, because at a certain point, you know, people, you, you, you can only talk about, I Googled Chris Martin as if he'd be the first person to come up. Obviously, it's the Coldplay guy. Uh, Chris Martin, baseball reference, gets you where you need to go. Um, just to kind of wrap this up with him, a 105 ERA and 51 in the third inning. Uh, his ERA plus, where 100 is league average, right, is 432. I mean, that's absolutely insane. Um, you know, 46 strikeouts, the strikeout numbers are never going to wow you, but uh, just the ability to get out of trouble, not give up that many hits. He's given up eight walks all year and three are intentional. So five real walks in 51 in the third innings. Just an unbelievable year. This is like Eck at the height of his career. And I don't mean to say that Chris Martin is going to Cooperstown, right. uh, where Beckersley is uh, properly recognized and inducted. But Eck used to have those years where his walk total was single digits as a closer with the A's. Uh, Chris Martin's been terrific, but I'm going to disagree with you uh, for pitcher of the year. Again, it's workload and it's innings and it's responsibility. So even though his ERA ballooned over the magical four mark with the last one, I'm going with Brian Bayo as pitcher of the year with the utmost respect for what Chris Martin did. But I would just point out that it is 50 something innings versus the 170 or so uh, that Brian Bayo is going to end up with. I'm not going to be swayed by one horrendous start in Texas last week. Uh, he's clearly been their best starter, but I'm also saying he should be pitcher of the year. Yeah, and that's a totally fair, fair case. Uh, you know, that's why I said I might even separate this into pitcher of the year and starter of the year. Um, you know, Bayo, when you look at the numbers at the end of the year, you're going to probably you know look back and forget how dominant he was for a stre- for stretches. Second half has not been great. Day games have been horrible, um, but you know, definitely a huge step forward for him and on a staff with not a lot of great contributions out of the starting rotation. I think he definitely was the best starter. Red Sox rookie of the year. Or do we even have to discuss this long or is it just Tristan Casas and Tristan Casas? Correct. All right. That's that. Uh, we'll go with the Red Sox. I'm going to add this one. I didn't send it to you in the pre-show notes, oh. which were uh, this is the biggest disappointment on the Red Sox this year. Um, I'll give you a second to think, but unless you want to go ahead. No, I, I mean, I, to me, it's Chris sale, um, both his availability and frankly, his performance, at least at times when he was active, uh, you know, I, I didn't expect that he was going to give you 210 innings and 270 strikeouts and 17 wins, but I surely expected more than this. And to me, he's the biggest disappointment. I'm going to go with a player who's no longer on the roster, but has to be the biggest disappointment of the year. Kike Hernandez was terrible on both sides of the ball. And he was a player that they said was going to basically be a very key part of everything they were doing from the defense at shortstop to a you know, guy in, in the order who could perform. Um, and so me, I mean, just because he was traded 
doesn't mean he can't qualify for this award, I think. And, you know, just, um, you know, we talk about Heim's legacy that kind of got left out. Like they put a lot of weight on this guy's shoulders and it was a disaster. The other guy, the other guy that I would say is story just offensively. I mean, he did not give them the spark that they needed in the last couple months. And I think that, you know, he's kind of skated for that a little bit, but the offensive numbers have been atrocious. Oh, they've been really bad. No question. I just think that you can only expect so much for a guy that didn't have spring training and didn't play his first game until the first week of August. I think uh, a bunch of people, I know Lou Merloni um, forecast this exact scenario where a story would be a huge upgrade at shortstop. Um, saying that, I think you and I might have been huge upgrades at shortstop, given the play that they got most of the year at that position. But Lou had warned, don't expect a lot offensively. And that has come to fruition as well. In fact, I would say that Story's uh, minuscule offensive contributions were even less than what Lou had predicted. But yes, a disappointment. I just think that, you know, when you're coming back from surgery and didn't play the first four and a half months, expectations have to reflect that. But he has not helped, at least with the bat. A couple more Red Sox awards before we go here. I'll add this one. Most improved player slash biggest surprise. I, I think there's no world where you can say anything except Jaron Duran here. Yeah, um, I, I agree. Uh, a guy that I thought they might trade over the offseason um, last winter. He, he he did not seem to be part of their plan anymore. Gotten a couple of uh, opportunities in the previous two years. Not much in 21, but certainly a decent run in 22. Didn't do anything with that. And I thought he was a bust. And uh, though he got hurt and missed the last month plus, um, he certainly was on his way to changing that and had himself a very good season. Uh, no matter what happens next year in terms of, uh, you know, trades and free agency, I think Jaron Duran is an everyday player and he's proven he can be that. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go back to the previous conversation because I'm looking at some numbers and just want to note Yu Chang had a higher OPS for the Red Sox this year than Trevor Story. So that's something to think about. Uh, we'll we'll go to uh, probably the, the last one we'll have here. The unsung hero for the Red Sox, a guy who has had a pretty good year um, and has not gotten enough credit for it. Uh, Cutter Crawford. That's mine too. Uh, a guy that has not uh, been able to, as of yet, clear that hurdle and be a guy that can give you uh, five plus, even six innings in his starts. We see him either running out of gas or lineups figuring him out the third time through, but you see glimpses of it. And particularly when you look under the hood, as they say, at some of the secondary and tertiary numbers, there's a lot to like about the year Cutter Crawford had. I, I think there's a ceiling. I don't think he's going to be a frontline guy, but I think he can be a, a, a pretty dependable fourth or fifth guy at the back end of the rotation. If he can figure out how to get into and past the fifth inning. Yeah. As I look at this, some good numbers, some, some encouraging numbers and some scary ones, 397 FIP for him is good in 123 in a third inning, which is third on the Red Sox. The fact they've only had three guys, as you've written about crossing a hundred innings is pretty scary. Yeah, I, I mean, and some of those came because he was not in the rotation, right? Uh, so that that limited his uh, his workload a little bit beyond which he could help. But 
uh, we also know that how infrequently he's been able to get into the fifth and sixth, and that's an issue. Uh, a couple other guys I just mentioned as you know, kind of being a spark at certain points during the year. Bernardino, I know he's faded a little bit, but out of nowhere to be a dependable in, uh, guy who's going to give them 50 innings, I think deserves a little bit of credit there. You know, Winkowski's had a very good year kind of out of nowhere and is at 80 innings. On the offensive side, uh, I know he's, you know, not a superstar by any means. Pablo Reyes, a guy who's been a contributor. Um, you know, I, I would uh, put Connor Wong in that category. Yeah. As a guy, as he also has know, a six six ninety three OPS, but right, but I, I don't think that we were going to be thinking that they have a guy who can be a number one catcher going forward. Um, he, he probably is not going to have that job for long. Kyle Teal will probably have a lot to say that about that by twenty twenty five, but if they go into next year with Connor Wong as their catcher. Uh, I think you can expect at least a little bit more offensively, and you already know he can do the job defensively. Yeah, he's one of those guys that I think, you know, they're in a better spot than they were a year ago. So this is one of our longer pods we've done. We'll be back later in the week as we continue to wrap up this Red Sox season and look forward. That's Sean McAdam and Chris Cotillo. we ever give you awards picks, just ignore them. This has been the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live.